I'm glad all the happy campers are here, happy and camping, done camping. All the other ones are still at Fort Stevens. We had a blessed time over this last weekend being able to uh, to be down there, and we've got, I don't know, I think about 100 and 110, 120-something people that were down there, and uh, you all get to hear what they heard last night in our study in Joshua. I want to thank you guys for joining us. I, I want to introduce a friend of ours who uh, ministers at, at Branches, and he ministers here whenever Tom abandons us. Well, he's not really abandoned us. He's gone off, and, and he's preparing for his son's wedding that's going to be this next week, so that's something we can pray for. And Rachel, Rachel's down uh, visiting her family, and Pastor Mike is at the beach, and so we are it. You get the best, though, right, Ryan? So this is Ryan Cook, and he's going to be here ministering for us. So we, yeah, you can give him a round of applause. And so we're just going to have a great time of, of worship, and uh, we're going to hear from um, Ernesto. We have a little video from him. It's our Mission Sunday, and, and also let me ask the Lord's blessing on our time. God, we thank you for the ability to be in this place, and Lord, as we come before you, help us to uh, just focus in on you. Lord, we pray for the families that are at church camp and and help them to uh, just really experience your power and your presence um, and keep them safe on their way home. Lord, we would ask that you be honored by everything said and done here and may the things that we, we say and do in our worship service truly be an act of worship and make you smile. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Right? Well, good morning. Good to be here. Uh, as Carrie said, my name is Ryan, and I've had the privilege uh, to be here a couple of times on Wednesday nights and other times. But, you know, what, what, what I'm hoping this morning is all about is just focusing on, on Jesus. So I, I hope uh, some of these songs are familiar to uh, some of you. If they're not, you can just tap or, you know, after all, uh, we're told in Scripture just to make a joyful noise, right? Apologize to your neighbor ahead of time, but that's just... That's what the Bible says. Um, but I do, I, w- I want to uh, open up this morning just reminding ourselves of what it says in Hebrews, as these songs are all geared for that one thing, and that is just to be praising Jesus this morning, keeping our eyes on him. In Hebrews uh, 12, uh, you guys will be familiar with this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely you ever feel like that? <laughs> Stuff just hangs on there. You don't want it. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. And that's the key this morning, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So let's just do what we can this morning to just ask God to keep our eyes fixed on him. Amen. All right. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would like. You can be seated anytime you like. There's no form or function. It's about the heart we have with Jesus. If you know this song, let's join in. If you don't, you can just hum along and just think about the words. I have heard a sound coming on the wind, changing hearts and minds. Break you through despair. 
Dear friends of Warren Community Fellowship, it's a pleasure to be in contact with you again, at least through video. Now, at this time, I have not found the strength to travel again, and that is why I haven't been with you face to face in your church. But complying with what you asked for, you have just seen a little bit of what is the life of our church in the worship service of this Sunday. This is just a little bit of the ministry that God has allowed me to have here in the church with the rest of the elders that lead it. Now, this was the worship service that we have regularly at 10 o'clock in the morning. Then after that, we have a period of fellowship downstairs in the basement and uh, we eat something there and have coffee or refreshments and a good deal of fellowship and the income of the things that are sold there goes for missions and it's a significant part of uh, of uh, of the missions help that that we send out now after that time of fellowship downstairs we have sunday school classes some of them with everybody present and some of them through the net and at least the class that I teach at this moment has students present bodily and also present through the net and through our computers. And uh, at this time I'm teaching a class that is Satanology and demonology it's not a an attractive subject but it's very necessary so that we get to know our enemy better and the people that take this class seem to enjoy it in spite of the fact that it's about the enemy other classes take place at the same time in the building. And uh, this city, being so large, it's a city of 22 million people. We only have one meeting because many of the persons that partake of the service come, come from faraway places in the city and therefore we cannot multiply the meetings in this metropolis 
Now, I will also send in 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 a separate uh, in a separate email the some of, some of the needs that we as a church are experiencing and some of the achievements that we have achieved so that you may with knowledge pray for us. Now you can be assured that I pray for you frequently for Warren Community Fellowship as I do for another church that partakes of our ministry, the Metropolitan Bible Church of Oklahoma City and Edmond Bible Church nearby to Oklahoma. I long to see you. I don't expect to see you because travel is extremely difficult for me. My legs and my knees, my ankles and the soles of my feet don't help me. But nevertheless, my health is good and I praise God for that. God willing, like a dear friend used to say to me, I'll see you here or I'll see you there or somewhere in the air. That means that I'm expecting to see you in the rapture of the church, which I'm convinced will happen in my own lifetime, even though I'm already 85 years old. I love you all. I miss you all. And I'll see you soon in the air with Christ. Thank you. Goodbye. Dear friends, this is just a little addendum that I am adding to the message that I just sent you. My grandchild, Ricardo, and his wife send you their love and remember being with you and remember you all fondly. And also my great-grandchild who still doesn't know that he is enjoying the grace of God even from his birth. But he shows it. And I enjoy him through the videos that they send me. Be assured that they send you a hug. And I also hug you, dear friends, wishing that I were with you and praying God's blessings upon you. Goodbye. You got to love Ernesto. 
He's amazing. He's been serving the Lord so so many years. You know, and I was I was thinking about as he was speaking, how much Ernesto reminds me of the Apostle Paul, and very Pauline in the way that he was speaking, as if it was a letter. And Paul didn't have internet or video at that time, so might have looked like that. There are some things if you would open up your bulletins. Um, that we're going to pray over Ernesto, as this is the uh, the fourth Sunday of the month. It's our missionary Sunday where we we focus on a new missionary uh, every month that we support, and we're going to be praying over Ernesto and some of the needs, his personal needs. As you saw, he is getting older and moving slower. His office is actually uh, was upstairs. I don't think it's meeting up there because of on the third floor of that building. So he's not able to do that, but he's still teaching Sunday school and to take on the topic of Satanology and demonology to be able to teach and to train. If you can imagine doing ministry in Mexico City, it's very difficult. He also asked for prayer uh, for Ricardo and Pilar and Matias uh, that are all, as his grandson is at Dallas Theological Seminary. It's my understanding that they're grooming him to take Ernesto's position, a handoff um, for that ministry, for the elders of the church and for the mission. So let's pray over them even now. God, we thank you for Ernesto and the ministry there, the ability for us as a church to partner for so many years with him and, and with the ministry that, that he's been doing. Lord, we pray that you would bring up the next generation of leaders within that church. Lord, we know that Ernesto does not believe in retirement, that he, he wants to, uh, as he says, die in the pulpit. But he would rather be caught up and raptured from the pulpit as he teaches your word. So, Lord, we pray that blessing upon him, that, uh, that with that confidence he'll continue uh, with his very last breath, proclaiming the name of Jesus. We pray for his grandchildren and those of the church leadership and the missions that are there. And may you be honored by all that they do. In Jesus' name, amen. We are a church on the move, amen? amen. Let's pray as uh, ushers come forward for this morning's offering as we continue to worship through giving. And these are, these are just gifts unto the Lord, recognizing His provision for our lives. God, we thank You. You're amazing. In every sense of the word, amazing. Awe-inspiring. Lord, I, I, just even on the beach yesterday, watching the whales go through the ocean and seeing the spouts, the very creation declares Your glory. And standing in camp and watching an elk just walk by. What a, what a blessing to be able to see your handiwork and your provision. And, and that elk didn't even care. You provide the food for her every day. You provide for us every day. We want to honor you with our lives, with our voices, with the first fruits of that which you've given to us. We want to give back to you for your kingdom's sake, for your glory to support Ernesto or other missions and ministries that are going on. And Lord, as uh, we enter into your presence now, may we, in our hearts, really, really give everything of ourselves to you. In worship and song and study and Holy Spirit, have your way with us even now. In Jesus' name, amen. alone 
my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone is solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are sealed, when striving ceases, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. Christ alone.
darkness we 
without hope, without light, till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes, to fulfill the law and prophet, to a virgin came the word, from the throne of endless glory, to a cradle in the dirt. Come on church, let's lift our voices and sing this out, praise the Father. Oh, praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, oh, praise forever to the King of kings. We praise you, God. Reveal the kingdom, to reveal the kingdom coming, and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation. You did not despise the cross, for even in your suffering, you sought to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. Thank you, Lord. Praise Him. Praise the Father. Praise the Son. Praise the Spirit. Three in one. God of glory. Majesty. Who oh, praise forever to the heaven held its breath till the stone was moved for good for the Lamb that conquered death. From their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born in the spirit of the flame now the sky's of old shall not kneel, shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who is resurrected. We praise him. Come on, sit out, praise. Praise the Father, praise the Son. Praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Sing that chorus again with just the voices, lift it up, praise the Father, come on. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one, God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings, oh praise forever.
We just ask that right now you'd speak to us. God, may our ears be open and our hearts receptive to what you'd have to say. Come now and speak to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. That's going to be seated. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. You know, I'm thinking about the words of the songs that we just proclaimed. And how much God has done in order to have a relationship with us. You think about the divine initiative of how God has moved to be connected with His creation, to be able to to bring to us a hope and a future. Despite our sinfulness, our rebelliousness, God never gives up. And that's a good thing, isn't it? That God never gives up. Because we messed up. How many of you guys have ever made a mistake? If you're not raising your hand, you're a liar. We've blown it. We've blown it so many times. But God is a God that gives fresh starts. I love the fact that God gives fresh starts. He gives us those opportunities to be able to start again. In fact, you think about from the time that Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sinned in the garden to our current time now, but even to the end when we read in the book of Revelation, we see God giving fresh start within the context of of our lives. We want those fresh starts, but here's the greatest danger in every one of our lives. When God's doing a new work and He's doing something fresh and new, the danger is our lives, when we enter into that that new event, that new life, that change, that transition, we enter into it, but we tend to bring our old self and our old behaviors with us. Now think about that. If God wants to do something new and you want a fresh start and you want to be able to have a a, a, a do-over, a, to be able to move on, is it dangerous to bring your old way of life into that new environment? The tendency is, when God wants to do something new, if we bring the old way of life, the old pattern, the old ways of thinking, we tend, when we become weak, and we are weak, we tend to fall back into those old behaviors. And God is all about making things new, in a new work. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 Paul would write, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. New things have come. New in time, new in kind. To be able to be new. And the thing about God constantly doing all of these new works. We have Adam and Eve. And so he gave to them the provision of the covering of animals and moving forward. But can you imagine a world that can become so corrupt that you have to wipe out the whole world and only save eight? When did that happen? In the flood. The flood really was a fresh start. Where, where the, and I know our world is not perfect, but can you imagine a world condition being so bad that God in, in His heart goes, Man, it's messed up. i got to start over. 
with eight. Can I bring eight people into a new work and have it be relatively good? Yeah, but the only problem is you have these new people coming in that bring with them their old nature and behavior. And so we know, even with Noah and his sons that came in, there was a problem because sin nature did continue within that. We know with the nation of Israel, God said, I'm going to make a new nation. I'm going to give a promise to Abram. And I'm going to start this new work, and I'm going to select these people, and I'm going to ask them to be in covenant relationship with me, to be separate from the world and within this. And so he brings Abraham, he gives them this promise. It's the Abrahamic covenant within this, and he says, you're going to be the father of a great nation. So he leads the nation into Egypt, and they come out of Egypt and, he, and within this. And it was going to be this new work. Abram, you're going to be blessed. Your people are going to be blessed. Israel is going to come out of slavery as a great nation. And we're going to put them into this land of the Canaanites who have gone beyond sin and need to be replaced. And I'm going to take all of that great nation from you, Abram, and I'm going to put them into this land. Why? Because through the nation of Israel, they're going to proclaim the gospel message. That Israel was to be the light to all the nations. That the Messiah would come through him. Did Israel mess it up? Absolutely they did. Why? Because even though they were a new nation going into a new work, they brought with them parts of the thinking of Egypt. And with that, then they fell back into idolatry. So much so that God would have to take them out of the land in captivity. Yes, He would bring them back in. But was the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel able to stop the promise of God? No. So the nation of Israel would get a Messiah, they would get Jesus, and then they would crucify Him. And then God would begin a new work. The new work is who? Us. The church. And the church was born as, as the non-Jews, the Gentiles, would receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are in that time now, in this new work. The new work requires something from us, though. It requires removing the old. God has done everything, everything, to bring blessing. But what He requires is full heart commitment and participation of those that are going to follow after Him. Nothing half-hearted within that. He wants all of God's people to shed the world, to cast it off in that new work. We must get rid of it. Paul would, would speak to this in 1 Corinthians 6, 9-11. to He says, Or do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, here's the beauty. Such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. Here is the deal. You were a sinner destined to hell. You are a saint by the power of God. This is not who you were, so don't live 
how you used to live. Why is this important? Because Israel has crossed over the Jordan. They've come out of Egypt. They've crossed through the wilderness. As we'll see, the, the generation that rebelled against God is dead. They're in the land. They've seen all of this stuff. And God has says, now it's time for a new work. Now it's time to take the land. We have Jericho in front of us. Human wisdom would say, okay, great, we're across, we're ready to go. Let's set up for war. God says, no, 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 no. We're not going to war yet. There's something else that has to be taken care of. You can't go to war because you're not ready to go to war. And you say, well, wait a minute. We have an army, big army. Maybe up to 605,000 soldiers. We have everybody afraid of us. Why can't we go to war? God says, because you still have some of the old. You still have some of the old in you. You are not fully committed. Fully dedicated. So what God does in Joshua chapter 5 is He calls for the nation of Israel to renew their covenant. To renew their covenant relationship with God. If you have a wedding ring on your left hand, raise it up. What does this symbolize? A covenant relationship between two people. A man leaves his father and mother, cleaves to his wife, and the two become one, and they covenant to be together forever. By God's design, a covenant relationship. The same thing is true for us as Christ followers. The same thing is true for Israel. God needs to call them to make a commitment to follow after a sign. For the Jews, this would be through circumcision. But what about the church today? Does the church enter into a covenant relationship with God after salvation and in that? Yes, they do. The outward sign is baptism. We're commanded to be baptized. Why? Because it's the public declaration of our commitment. My hope this morning is that you're going to see the power of, of being in covenant relationship and the need for that through this passage here in Joshua it's a great passage and it talks about the depth of being in a covenant relationship. In our world today, we don't take covenant very very seriously anymore. The covenant is a serious thing, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. Let's stand as we read through our passage. Joshua 5. 15 verses. You guys can do it. I know you can. Now it came about when all the kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to the west and all the kings of the Canaanites who were by the sea heard how the Lord had dried up the waters of the Jordan before the sons of Israel until they had crossed, that their hearts melted and there was no spirit in them any longer because of the sons of Israel. Now at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make for yourselves flint knives and circumcise again the sons of Israel the second time. So Joshua made himself flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeath Haraloth. This is the reason why Joshua circumcised him. All the people who came out of Egypt were males, and all the males of war died in the wilderness along with the way after they came out of Egypt. For all the people who came out of the circumcision, but all the people who were born in the wilderness 
along the way as they came out of Egypt had not been circumcised. Two classes of people. For the sons of Israel walked forty years in the wilderness until all the nations, that is, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not listen to the voice of the Lord, to whom the Lord had sworn that He would not let them see the land which the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now their children, whom they raised up in their place, Joshua circumcised, for they were uncircumcised because they had not circumcised them along the way. And now when they had finished circumcising all of the nation, they remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. And then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Now while the sons of Israel camped in Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day in the month of the desert plains of Jericho. And on the day after Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes, parched grain. And the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land. And so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield in the land of Canaan during that year. Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, he was lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man standing opposite him with a sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as captain of the Lord's hosts. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, bowed down and said to him, what has my Lord to say to his servants? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. So when we think about spiritual renewal... When you're in that place where you want to renew your relationship with God, when you're in that place where you want to rededicate your, your life, you realize you've wandered away, you, you've disobeyed, you're in that place, what is required? Well, the thing that is required on your part is spiritual purity. Now, as we come in, chapter 5, verse 1 of Joshua gives us kind of the backdrop of what's going on within this. It says that at that time... or it, the kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan, their hearts were melting. Now, it's not talking about like literal melting. It's not like it melted. But it means that they were failing. They were, they were desperate. They were fearful. Why? Well, we know that based on what had happened in a speech from Rahab in Joshua 2, 10 to 11, and the two spies were there, she said to the two spies, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above heaven and earth. We look at this, we see this. What had happened? You got to imagine this. This army of people, hundreds of thousands of people have come. And now, not only did the kings of the lands know that the Red Sea had parted, and not only did they know that these two kings, Sihon and Og, had been wiped out in the process of getting here, but now the army is right here. They're right in front of us. 
And these kings are terrified. Because now their gods stopped the Jordan River and they crossed this Jordan River at flood stage. They're terrified. Now Joshua is a military leader and Joshua would come in and you would think as a military leader, let's go fight them now. Right? Wouldn't that be the smart thing to do? You look at them, you go, they're terrified, we got them, let's strike while the iron's hot, let's wipe them out, let's do it now. They're, they're cowering. God says, wait, time out. We're not fighting this battle with human wisdom. It's spiritually led and spiritually discerned. You cannot accomplish anything for me until you're in covenant with me. God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than what you could ever do for Him. God had already given them the land. It was theirs to take. But what God was more concerned about was the condition of their heart. How's your heart doing? Here we see two different scenarios. we got the, the hearts of these Gentile kings that's melting before Yahweh, and we have this group of people, these Israelites, that are ready to rush into the land and take it because God's with them. And He says, well, wait a minute. We, you're not fully committed. You still have a bit of Egypt stuck with you, within this. And so, while the condition was prime, God was calling for the nation to take care of themselves spiritually. Spiritual purity is essential as a priority before you do anything, including ministry. If your heart's not pure before God, if you're compromised, then you're not going to win. And God's not going to bless it. So God tells Joshua in verses 2 and 3 to circumcise the sons of Israel. Now keep in mind, God has already done all of the work, hasn't He? It's done. Divine sovereignty always matches human responsibility. Divine sovereignty has already given the land, but there's human responsibility with that. You and I have a part in the work of God, and that's obedience within this. This generation grew up in captivity, in, because the, these, this generation was under 20. And so they get to go into the land. And then their kids that have grown up only grew up in the wilderness. And they don't know God like they should. They're learning, but they don't know like they should. And so God was calling the whole nation to renew their covenant as a nation. To go forward. To receive this inheritance in this land. And so they needed to prepare their hearts. Now, you would say, well, what do they need to do? What about circumcision? Isn't circumcision a religious practice? It is. It was something that was distinct. Commanded by God to Abram, to the Jews, in order to separate them from the world within this. It would be a religious act or what we would call liturgy. Do you know what the word liturgy means? Liturgy is a form of worship. And so for them, circumcision was part of their liturgy. It was the outward action that represented the inward heart condition. We have liturgy. 
We, when, we, when we worship, we sing songs. When we stand, we raise our hands. These are outward actions. When you are baptized, that's part of religious liturgy. It's an outward action that, that represents an inward commitment. But if your heart's not in it, is it any good? No. Question, can baptism save you? No. Can circumcision save you? No. Can standing up inside a church during music and raising your hands change the heart? No. It begins in the heart and it comes out of the person. And so what God is doing is giving them the vehicle to worship within this, the, the ability to be able to practice. And so we have all of these things. Communion, weddings. These are all things that are symbols and signs that are part of our commitment. You think about a wedding and the exchanging of vows. That's a covenant relationship. And as a people, we've lost the ability to value covenant relationships. We've made these things with less worth. And God says, before you go into this land, you must follow and make your covenant with me. In fact, in Genesis 17:11, it was a command of God. He says, and you shall circumcise in the flesh of your foreskin, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. It was a sign. Now, for those young people that are here going, what is circumcision? That's a conversation you can have with your parents. We will not go into detail. But it is a surgical procedure that is done to alter a part in order to make you different than everybody else. And it is not a tattoo. So God told Joshua, he says, I want you to make flint knives. Now it's interesting, you think about flint knives. If you've ever worked with flint, and I know somebody who does make flint knives, has to wear like these special gloves because... When you go to make a flint knife, you have to chip it to, to get the edge that's there. And it's super sharp, like ridiculously sharp within this. And so for the practice of circumcision, you would want a sharp knife, would you not? Uh-huh. You would. The other thing that's interesting is flint knives in, in the Near Eastern culture, especially with Israel... The tools that were used for ceremonial worship were not to be made out of metal. The flint knives were to be made out of stone. Because the, the forging of metal for such a thing would, would lean into man's capability as opposed to God's provision within that. And so, with, and so you go, well, why do they have to be there? Because we read, well, it, this is the second time Israel was circumcised. How can you be circumcised twice? The first circumcision was all those that were all the men in Israel that were Israel that were in Egypt and coming out. When they came out of Egypt, they were all circumcised. Making a covenant relationship, but when they got in the wilderness, they reneged on the covenant, they turned their back on the covenant. And what they did was they didn't raise their children to understand what covenant was. And so within this, it was necessary for this new generation to come up. Do you realize that within the context of the church, we have a new generation? I love you older people, but if you haven't figured it out, you're old. 
there is a new generation that's coming up. And it is the responsibility of the older generation to teach the newer generation the truth of God's Word, the liturgy of God's Word, the commitment and covenant relationship of God's Word that's called for in God's Word. And if you don't do it, they're going to grow up not knowing what covenant relationship is with God. Will that stop them from entering into God's promise? Not necessarily. How many of you here came to faith despite growing up in an ungodly home? Many. Why? Because God does His work and His promises are sure within this. Joshua explains to them that it was necessary for this. The other thing that's necessary is the process. Personal purity is necessary in order for true worship to take place. They could not worship in Passover until the circumcision took place. The heart had to be purified in order for true worship to take place. Look at verses 4 through 7. And in 4 through 7, we read through it why Joshua would say it was necessary is because the older generation didn't follow God's commands in the wilderness, including circumcision, including raising up their children and teaching them. And it was a sinful generation. And so God said, because you're a sinful generation and you rebelled, you're out. Kadesh Barnea, what did they say? We can't go in the land. God says, then you will not see the land. You'll wander around for 40 years and I'll give it to the next generation. God's promise is to a people, but if there's a generation that rebels, God will dispose of that generation and work with the next one. We see that time and time again where God does that. You think about this. This next generation. I pray for revival in the next generation. Please pray for revival in the next generation. Because we have a church that's become weakened by the world. Living in rebellion. What would it be like to have a whole generation raised up that's in love with God and ready to serve? It would be an army of people, unstoppable within this. So those that were under 20 years, as Joshua would say, would be this next generation coming up. Those that, and they would need to be circumcised. Why? Because God said, if you're not circumcised, you don't go in. Genesis 17:14 says this. But an uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. And as I said, circumcision doesn't save you. It's the covenant relationship. God could have said, in order to enter into my holy promise, my holy land, you have to do 50 push-ups. And if you can do 50 push-ups, you're in. God could have said, in order to, to enter into my land, you have to dye your hair pink. <laughs> Only one's getting in. It doesn't save you. It's the inward commitment. It's a point of contact. It's this touch. The other thing that I think is interesting is doing some research on this that, that lends itself to truth that's implied in here is the Egyptian Jews weren't the only ones that circumcised the Egyptians circumcised and they would circumcise all the babies but they had a different style of circumcision 
And so all of the, and it wasn't a complete circumcision as we, as we know to be true in the, in the full cutting away of the foreskin. It was just a marking. So within this, there is a bit of Egypt still attached to all of these males that are here. Why? Because their parents had brought Egypt into the wilderness and they infused this Egypt into their kids. And God says, before you go in my land, all of Egypt has to be cut away. All of the old that is there. This commitment that is there. When we call people to baptism, what are they doing? They're coming up and they're publicly declaring that I'm identifying with Jesus Christ in His death, burial, and resurrection. The New Testament church doesn't, doesn't do that. Why? Because Jesus gave the new covenant relationship. When we celebrate communion, it's part of the symbols of the new covenant relationship. And baptism is that command. And if you haven't been baptized, you should be. Because it is, it is the commitment. And I can tell you, many people will walk around feeling somewhat powerless in, in their faith journey because they have not been baptized. They haven't taken that final step of public, well, I have Jesus in my heart and I'm saved. Yeah, you are. But you're hiding in the closet. And so many people have the power of God released through baptism when they fully give their hearts over to God in that public declaration. And so in this, God is raising up that new generation. And He'll honor Israel's obedience. Look at verses 8 and 9. He says, And now when they had finished circumcising, all the nation remained in their place in the camp until they were healed. Yeah, they would need a few days. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Note, Today I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you, so that the name of the place is called Gilgal to this day. Rolled away reproach. Well, when you look up that word reproach, in Hebrew, that word reproach means disgrace. Interesting. A, a physical human action is acknowledged by God as God would say, now I've rolled away the disgrace that was attached to you. Why? Because all of Egypt, has now all the entanglements of Egypt has been cut away. One of the most difficult things for me to do when I first came to faith there's a number of them in a process. But one of them was getting rid of my music. I really liked music. I really liked music. I really liked my secular music. I really liked to listen to ZZ Top, Led Zeppelin, Aerosmith, Genesis, Blue Oyster Cult. All you older people are going, yep, yep. If you're kind of a, I don't know, a millennial, it might be like Metallica, which I never could get into Metallica or any of that. But the hardest thing to do was to get rid of that stuff. Why? Because my heart and my mind was so attached because in the days when I used to party, that was the music that I listened to when I got stoned. And I'd hear the music as a believer going, oh, man, that was the good old days. It's amazing how you forget about what the good old days were really about. And how many times you woke up on the floor or someplace that you shouldn't be. I had to cut those things away. The other thing that ended up happening, the other thing that God said you had to remove, Carrie, is you have to get rid of your friends. Why? Because I couldn't hang out with my friends anymore and follow Christ because they were all stoners. And I'd go over there and they had everything right there on the table. And it's like, I can't do this. 
I got to the place where I went to them and I said, look it. I can't hang around you. Don't call me. Don't talk to me. I am dead to you. I had to cut it away. We think about those things that we try to bring into this new work, but all they are is baggage that, that hold us back. You say, well, Carrie, God's love. Don't, God loves your friends. Yeah. But God can't do the new work in my life as long as I'm bringing the old work. God can't do the new work with Israel in Canaan land as long as there's part of Egypt still coming in with them. It's God's intention that you get rid of the Egypt. What's the Egypt in your land? In your life? What are you bringing into your family, your relationship, your household, your faith journey that's part of your old life that you keep compromising with that God says, cut it and get rid of it? You say, Carrie, I don't want to get rid of it. It's going to hurt. Yep. It will. But you'll heal. And then God will say, now... Your Egypt has been removed. Now you are free to enter into my promise and experience my power and my presence. Now your disgrace. One of the worst things that happens is when a Christian still brings their Egypt, their old way of life, into their life, and they, they fall. And then God is trying to get them to get rid of it. And Satan says, what kind of Christian are you? You still do this. You still do this. And brings that disgrace. God wants you to live free. In John 8.36, Jesus says, So if the Son makes you free, how does the rest of it go? You will be free indeed. Free indeed. But to be free, you've got to cut away all of the old and eliminate the old ways of life. That opens up for worship. In John, or I'm sorry, in Joshua 5, 10 to 12, God says, now we can go into worship. And so Israel, in verse 10, gets to celebrate Passover. While the sons of Israel camped at Gilgal, they observed the Passover on the evening of the 14th day. God reinstituted this worship calendar. Do you know there's only three times in this modern Israel's history that they were able to celebrate Passover? When it was instituted at the 10th plague, at the giving of the law of Mount Sinai, and here. What was so special about that? Because Passover was the miracle of God that protected them and gave them new life. When the Passover lamb would be slaughtered and the blood would be put on the doorpost and the angel of death would pass over that household and the people in there would be saved. Passover is the type of the cross. Where Jesus, the Lamb of God, died to take away the sins of the world. Passover is the central focus for the nation at this time. It was the most important celebration. And they get to celebrate that in the land for the first time. And then they get to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Seven days for a party. I think Israel got it right. I would love to have the holiday calendar that the nation of Israel would have. Do you realize that? Where are you going? Well, I've got seven days off. you got seven days off. Yeah, i got seven days off because I'm going to go to church. What are you going to do at church? We're going to party for seven days. Because God wants us to remember something. Can you imagine what it would be like if, if, if we celebrated like Israel celebrated? Wedding feast, seven days. 
Feast of unleavened bread. Seven days. Whole times. And what do they do? They party. You know what? Baptists think they got it all good with their potlucks. No. Jews got it good. Why? Because God wants us to be able to celebrate within us. It's interesting, too, that as they would celebrate the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, they couldn't get to Passover until they had circumcision. They couldn't get to a pure worship until they had purity in their life because it was required. One of the greatest joys in my life was coming to know the Lord in February 1981. The first Resurrection Sunday that followed, and I can't remember if it was March or April, but that first Easter Sunday, to come to Easter Sunday, to Resurrection Sunday as a new believer. What a blessing. To really know what it means. For these Jews, they're circumcised. New covenant. We're in the land God is providing, and we now get to celebrate Passover, the power of God. Everything that we've been told is now coming to effect, and we are fully into God's promises. You know the other thing that was really cool about this? At the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that seven days, the text tells us something stopped. You know what stopped? The manna. God's provision from the time they left Egypt all the way through the wilderness, manna. How many different ways can you fix manna? Can you imagine how many cookbooks are? 101 ways to fix manna. Manaroni. Manicotti. Manna and beans. And the manna stops. Why? Because they're eating of the fruit of the land. God says, you don't need the provision of manna anymore because I've given you a greater provision. You get to enjoy it. And enjoy the blessing. Meanwhile, what's before him is this whole war, this battle, this, this, this place that is there. God promised to bless them. In Leviticus 23, 6 days says, Then on the 15th day of the same month, there's a feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you're going to eat this. First day you'll have holy convocation, and then you'll do no laborious work for seven days this party, and then the manna will stop. The other thing in verse 12 that I think is interesting is to consider what God had promised way back in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 10 to 11 says this, It shall come about when the Lord your God brings you into the land, and He has now, which He swore to your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a great and splendid cities, which you did not build, houses full of good things, which you didn't fill, and hewn sterns, which you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees, which you did not plant and you eat, are satisfied. Israel, guess what? You are at the threshold of blessing. Jericho is in front of you and all of the cities and it's going to be yours. Why? Because God just wanted to bless them and create them to be a great nation. So that all the nations would know the power of God and the blessing of God. They're there. So we got all of this going on. The nation, partying for a week, recovering from circumcision. They're ready to go. They're there. Joshua wanders off to go to Jericho. Why? 
He's a warrior. He's a soldier. He's the captain of the Israeli army. He doesn't know that God's going to tell him to walk around the walls. He doesn't know the plan yet. So what is Joshua doing as a commander? Trying to figure out the plan. So he's sitting on this this ridge, this hill, or whatever it may be. Jericho's in the distance. He lifts his eyes up and there's a man standing in front of him with a sword. Would that freak you out a little bit? Maybe a little. But Joshua was a commander and doesn't know who this guy is. Maybe he's a scout from the army of the kings of Jericho or something. So he goes up to this guy and he says, Are you friend or foe? Are you for us or are you against? Are you a deserter because you're scared? Or are you here to fight? Tell me now. And the man standing in front of him with a sword drawn says, Neither. I am the commander of the Lord's host. The Lord's army. And Joshua drops. Why? Because he used a title that is well known throughout the the Old Testament history and within the culture as the celestial army of God. He knew he was standing in, in front of someone that was divine within this. He's standing. Now, you think about this. And, and, and I meditated and I thought, okay, we have the commander of God's nation, Joshua, now having a conversation with the commander of the angels in heaven, the celestial army, and what are they going to do? Set the pecking order. And Joshua submits to the commander of the Lord's army and becomes number two because the commander of the Lord's army is number one. And he bows down. Because spiritual purity has taken place. Worship has taken place. God's provision has taken place. And now God says, now we're ready to fight. But it's not going to be a battle like you know. Joshua submits and he says, whatever my Lord says, I'll do. Who is this commander of the Lord's army? It's Jesus. It's called a Christophany. It's a pre-incarnation appearance of Jesus. We see post-incarnation appearances modeled similarly in Revelation chapter 1, verse 14. And his head and his hair was like white like wool and snow. His eyes were like flame of fire. And Revelation 1.16 says, In his right hand he held seven stars, and his mouth was a sharp two-edged sword. His face was like the shining sun. Revelation 19, we see the sword of his mouth coming out and wiping out the whole armies in the battle of Armageddon. Jesus the warrior, the commander of the Lord's army, the divine angels that are there, which I think is super important to understand. Joshua, you're going to fight, but I'm in charge. How else do we know that this is Jesus? Because Jesus uses the same words that God used with Moses at the burning bush. As he was on the ground, take off your shoes, you're standing on what? Holy ground. Angels will never accept worship. God does. And what ends up happening? Joshua is reminded of what God promised him in Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. Be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. That renewed commitment of God. That renewed commitment that eliminates all of the Egypt, all of the world, all of the junk. Sets you up to worship and have victory.
in every aspect of your life. There's a lot of people that try to carry their old patterns and behaviors into this new life. As long as you're bringing the old into the new, you will lose. As long as you bring the old into the new, you will struggle with sin, sorrow, and suffering and compromise. My challenge to you this morning, be like the nation. Renew your covenant relationship with God. Whatever God has convicted you of, of your Egypt, get rid of it, even if it hurts, so that God can bless you, so that God can lead you into victory with that. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you've led us to this place to learn from, from Israel, to learn from your people on how to live and enter into the, the new and fresh starts that you have for us. God, you are a God that, that does not tolerate compromise and doesn't want us to try to, to mix the world and, and the secular in with the holy. Lord, I know that there are people struggling right now because, Holy Spirit, you're, you're convicting them. You're showing them the things that they've got to get rid of. And they're wrestling internally. Lord, may they see the blessing of your provision and the ability to worship as more valuable than anything that the world would offer. And may they separate themselves from those things that entangle them in the world. As Ryan opened our study up this morning, that we can present ourselves, that we would cast away those things that so easily entangle us and run this race to that finish line. As we close, may God work on your heart. As Ryan plays, may these words of the song minister to you. And Holy Spirit, may you do that work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Just respond now to the word. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Leave behind. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes, a new life is born. Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. 
the Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Let's just sing that section one more time. Oh, what a Savior, isn't He Bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Amen. Father, we stand before You, knowing that You are holy and righteous and true and faithful and just and loving and kind. That, God, You have plans for our lives for the good. Yet so many times we get entangled with the things of the world and the old ways of our life. Lord Jesus, I know You're working on people's hearts even now. That, Holy Spirit, You are wrestling with them over the issues that they're struggling with that they need to get rid of. If that's you this morning, surrender all and give it away. Cut it away. That your life would be a living offering that you present yourselves holy and acceptable to God because that's our reasonable service. As we go out this week, may we do that. May we seek to not be entangled by the things of the world, but live lives pure and blameless, that we would be living witnesses for you, Lord Jesus. And may everything that we say and do honor you, God, and put a smile on your face, Lord Jesus. And we thank you for our time. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. And praise Jesus and have a blessed week. Thanks for joining us in the study of God's Word with Pastor Kerry Wacker. We'd love to have you join us in person for worship each Sunday morning at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. We also meet Wednesday nights at 630 p.m. Warren Community Fellowship is located at 56523 Columbia River Highway in Warren, Oregon, between Scappoose and St. Helens. 
For more information about Warren Community Fellowship or about WCF Ministries, call us at 503-397-4387. And don't forget to like us on Facebook.